Good morning, everybody. We are in the second week of our series, A Survival Guide to Christmas. And so we began last week talking about the reality that for some people in the room, when it comes to the Christmas season, you've got your eyes closed very tight and you can't wait for January 2nd to get here so you could just get through the whole thing. And so we talked last week about the reality is, and my hope and prayer for you, like just in terms of like what I pray for you, what I hope for you, is that Christmas 2013 will be a great spiritual adventure for you. And I don't even know how that's all going to work out, but that somehow you'll be engrafted into the story of Jesus in such a way that it causes you to have great spiritual growth, that you have a moment with God this season that just kind of catapults you into the spiritual life. That's what my hope is for you. That's what my prayer for you is. I think that Christmas 2013 has the potential to be a great spiritual adventure. But if I'm defining adventure, it's two words that come together. It is beauty and it is danger. That during Christmas, you will see beauty all around you. The sights, the sounds, the smells, the cookies. I mean, it's all around. You will see beauty. And at the same time, we recognize there is danger. That we could be walking along, and because of the circumstances of our life, this time of the year, we can be more prone to things like depression or loneliness. And I was, what we talked about last week, doesn't it feel like if you're going to have a financial struggle, it always seems to break out around the Christmas season. If you're going to have a relational meltdown with your spouse, it tends to happen around the Christmas season. We know that there are dangers that are possibly lurking in Christmas 2013. So because of that, here are the two things we said last week. One is, you'll want the Spirit of Jesus to go with you on this adventure. Because the Spirit of Jesus is very good at giving you the red flags, the warning signs, the, hey, there's thin ice up ahead, there's a possibility of an avalanche up ahead to warn you of the dangers that lie before you. And you'll want that. You'll want the Spirit of Jesus to go with you through all of those sorts of things. But the second thing is, what the Spirit of Jesus does is, it moves us towards the heart of Jesus, which is always one of service. And so we looked at John chapter 13, where Jesus himself is about to go through a major holiday season in the Jewish calendar. It's Passover, and he's dreading it. And the reason why he's dreading it is because he knows on the other side of it is crucifixion. He's about to suffer a great deal on the other side of Passover. And so we know from the scriptures, Jesus kind of, hey, if this cup could pass away for me, that'd be fantastic. But, you know, I'm going to be obedient to you no matter what. And so in the midst of Jesus' own trepidation of the coming holiday, he moves towards washing the feet of his disciples. He moves towards service. And so in it we closed last week by saying, if you already know that danger is ahead of you, let's say something like loneliness will be a real issue for you on Christmas Day. Maybe this is the year where the kids wake up and they'll be at your ex-spouse's house, and so you might feel lonely. Listen, Jesus never promises us that if you follow after him, you'll never feel loneliness again. He doesn't promise us that. Jesus never promises, if you follow after me, you'll never have to sit through another dysfunctional family meal again. He never promises those us. What I'm saying is, If you know that that's a danger lurking ahead of you, then let the Spirit of Jesus move you towards service so that rather than waking up alone on Christmas, what if you already knew in advance that was headed towards you and you had already predetermined on Christmas morning you're going to wake up and go to the homeless center and serve meals to the homeless? Now, it didn't change your life circumstance, but you saw the danger and instead you decided to go have a spiritual adventure and be a blessing to people who are without a home. Or what if you saw loneliness coming, you woke up on, Sunday, on that Christmas morning and you decided to go visit three widows that are in your circle of network or friendships that you knew would also be alone and you brought over a cheap little gift and you spent one hour with each of those widows just being a blessing. I'm telling you, in the end, you will exchange loneliness 
for a spiritual adventure. I think God will bless. He's not promising you won't feel those things, but the Spirit of Jesus can warn us ahead in advance. And so we, saw, we talked about that last week in regards to, for those of you who are like, yeah, this time of the year for me is kind of, eh, you know, I get a little anxious, a little nervous, there's a lot of danger before me. But now this morning, I want to take a turn and talk to the rest of the room, to those of you who are trying to survive a message series on how to survive Christmas. That is if you're even here this morning. I know that sounds odd, but my guess is there are quite a few of you who this message series is most likely not really speaking to. I mean, in fact, even the title, right, a Survival Guide to Christmas, I mean, just the assumption even in the title is, oh, this could be hard for you. You probably need to figure out how to survive this time of the year. And you're sitting there thinking, are you kidding me? I love Christmas. This is my favorite time of the year. It's not that you don't appreciate that there might be other people who at this time of the year undergo things like depression. They might be challenged with unresolved conflict in their family or personal life. That's just not where you live. No, you love Christmas. And even the title of this, How to Survive, is just difficult for you to get around because it's your favorite time of the year. You look forward to it all year. In fact, for you, you might have struggles like 11 months out of the year, things that you're really dealing with, but at least in December during Christmas, they kind of fade away. And even if you have challenges on those other times of the year, hearing the preacher get up and talk about, now if you're facing depression or loneliness or consumerism is about as encouraging to you as listening to the preacher talk about stockpiling food and weapons for the upcoming zombie apocalypse. So your primary question this morning is not, how do I survive Christmas, but rather, how do I survive a sermon series about surviving Christmas, because that's just not where you're living. And I get that. In fact, it kind of reminds me of uh, the Boy Scouts. I was, I was a Boy Scout all the way through like my senior year in high school, which I didn't know going into the seventh grade wasn't cool anymore. Like, did you, did you know that? Anyone else? Anyone else in Boy Scouts? Who wants to be outed right now? Anyone? I'm attached to a cord. Let me get out of that for a second. Okay. Um, like in the sixth grade, like you wore your uniform once a week to school, and it was cool. Like all the other kids, oh, he's a Boy Scout, and I'm looking real good. Like, in fact, let me show you my, this was my uniform right here. This is my Boy Scout uniform. Right here. You see that up there, right there? See that? Look at that form. You see that? They look good. Look at those tube socks. Aren't they awesome? Which you're laughing, but in the early 80s, I think that was really cool, right? That was really cool. So, like, okay, here's my uniform, which Kelly some night still likes me to wear it. Um, so, uh, <laughs> She'll be at the 1155 service. I'm not sure I'm going to tell that joke then. We'll, we'll, wait, we'll, we'll wait and see. Here, here's what we did in the Boy Scouts, which I loved it, okay? I, I had a good time. What happened is they would send you through these activities because they had this motto. Does anyone know what the motto is of the Boy Scouts of America? What's the big motto? Anyone know? Be prepared, right? Be prepared was the big motto. So in order to prepare you for things in life, they sent you through all sorts of exercises and activities to get you prepared. And what you would do is you would earn merit badges, things like basket weaving merit badge because you never know when you need to weave a basket like it could happen today at any moment I'm like oh my goodness we need a basket first aid swimming life-saving merit badge canoeing I've got a canoeing merit badge I'm skilled in that art whatever that means leather working like if you need a belt out of nowhere I can find a cow and we'll I don't know what it is okay anyhow but you earn different merit badges, and then you get to advance in the ranks. And in the end, I got to be 
an Eagle Scout. I'm an Eagle Scout is what I because I love the Boy Scouts. And so what happened is they send you through all sorts of these sorts of experiences of like a wilderness survival training. Like they taught us how to survive if you ever get lost in the wilderness and the things that you'd need. And we even had a wilderness survival camp out one weekend where they drop us all off and you got to build your shelter from just the things in the wood. Like we would build a little lean-to shelter to protect us from the elements and then you'd have to go figure out what can you eat and they'd teach you what kind of plants are edible and which kind of plants are going to send you to the ER and you shouldn't eat those ever. And like those things that they taught you. They taught you all sorts of skills in regards to how to, read, how to read a compass, like here's my compass, and a map, and how to get out of the wilderness to find safety. I also earned a first aid merit badge, which is a bunch of training and activities on how to deal with all sorts of first aid situations. For example, if you're dying of hypothermia, I know what to do. I'm trained. If you get bit by a venomous snake at Potawatomi Zoo, <laughs> I know what to do. If you're choking, if you go into shock, if you need a temporary splint for that compound bone fracture, I know what to do. I even know how to apply a tourniquet. Anyone know what a tourniquet is? Anyone know, right? I know how to apply one. So if you have severe hemorrhaging this morning during church, I'm your man. I learned all sorts of things to be prepared in the Boy Scouts. I learned how to tie a bunch of different knots, how to start a fire without matches, even what kind of different fires to build, like that lean-to fire and why that would be important, or the log cabin fire. And listen, I had a blast. Like, like I really love, I have tons of great memories. I had a lot of fun with my friends. I've got just, it was a blast. But here's what, here's the truth of the matter. I am 42 years old, and I have never needed to use a tourniquet. Now, I have fantasized about being a tourniquet on some necks a few times in my life, but I've never used a tourniquet. I have never once needed a compass to get out of anywhere. I know how to treat people in hypothermia, but I've never, in 42 years of my life, have I ever done almost everything I learned in the Boy Scouts. Just getting lost in the wilderness and needing to build a lean-to shelter to protect me from the elements... It's just not high on the list of likely scenarios in Sam's life here as the pastor of the Living Stones Church. I've never been anywhere that I needed to start a fire that there wasn't someone close by that didn't have at the very least a cigarette lighter on them, especially here at the Living Stones Church. I'm just saying, right? Those are great skills to learn. I just, I just never really needed them, right? And so... Listening to a bunch of sermons on how to survive Christmas. Now listen, someday you might need that. Someday you're like, yeah, that sermon was right on for some day in my life. But that's not where you are now. You're more like, like it's like a fire extinguisher in the building. we got several of them all over this building. And once a year the fire department shows up and they inspect them and they put a new little tag on. I've been here for 17 years and I've never once ever seen anyone use the fire extinguisher. Not once. So I'm not saying you don't want to be prepared just in case you need to know how to do sudotry, leather-making things or basket-weaving things. I'm just saying you can't appreciate, at least now, how to survive Christmas because you love this time of year. In fact, you've got trusted rituals and traditions that you participate in that allow you to have a little bit of rest for the other 11 months of the year. And so I want to talk then to the people this morning who, far from dreading this time of the year, you look forward to it. And the moment it hits, you are ready and you are off. Like when the gun goes off at Black Friday, come on, you Black Friday crazy people. 
or on your refrigerator, you got that calendar, like almost every night is like something's a kid's Christmas play and the office Christmas party and then the wrapping party at church and then my small group Christmas gathering. I mean, you got a, the whole month is just full and you love it. Every bit of it you just love. You love spending time with the people. You love the holiday parties. You love buying gifts. You love the, just, even the change that you love. When it dumps two feet of snow, you love it. I'm talking to the people who all through October and November, you are already thinking of the best places and positions for your elf on the shelf. That's who I want to talk about. Or to a lot of you ladies, and maybe a few men who have special Christmas boards already on Pinterest to decorate all of your recipes, decorations, and all the holiday, holiday ideas. I'm talking to you that when the preacher gets up to talk about the dangers of Christmas, you're thinking, what? I thrived during Christmas. Didn't you see my Facebook picture of the tree we scored this year? So let me say this to you as your pastor and friend. Even if everything is great for you this Christmas, your white elephant gift was the funkiest one at the party. Your time with your brothers and sisters was full of just laughter and celebration and stories and games especially Euchre, because you're from Indiana and you all play Euchre. Even if the Christmas company party was a smashing success, even if after Christmas morning when the kids look at you, they've got tears streaming down their eyes and they say, thank you, Mom and Dad, this has been the best Christmas ever. Here's what I'd say. And here's the big bad point. Here it is. If you or your family have not engaged in the story of Jesus, then you have not survived. Like, even if you love everything about it, and I get that, because there's some of, I'm in that list. I, I love this time of year. But even if you've participated in all of that and love all of that, but you have not, you or your family have not engaged in the story of Jesus, then I would suggest you have not survived Christmas 2013. And I don't want this to be another, you know, Jesus is the reason for the season message. I, I just, it's about a real reality and truth that I think exists before us, and including for myself. That Christmas time, even the parts that we love, can be very distracting. Like when you think about all the things, even things that we really like to do, the things that are our traditions, can be peripheral things that in, the, in large part can be largely distracting to us. They can eat up all of our time and all of our energy and all of our focus and all of our thoughts. And at the end of Christmas, even one that has been amazing, it is quite possible to have walked through the entire Christmas season and never engage in the story of Jesus. It's even possible to keep attending church in the month of December, maybe even show up to a Christmas Eve service at the Livingstones Church at 5 o'clock or 7, insert commercial, and still not engage in the person of Jesus. And so what I'd like us to do is, even for those of us who love it, to just pause for just a moment and do what they taught me, at least in the Boy Scouts, at any emergency situation, the first thing you want to do is you want to assess the situation, and then you want to prioritize the situation, and you want to move into action. That's what they teach you. Assess, prioritize, and then move into action. So if you come on and a major accident, you're the scene of a major accident, the first thing you want to do is you want to assess the situation. What's, who's injured? What are the nature of the injuries? And then you've got to prioritize it because they might not be breathing and you might be flipping out because they're not breathing. But if they've got a major gash in their leg and major blood loss there, they will die faster from blood loss and they will lack of oxygen in the body. Do you know that? So major blood loss is a higher priority. Then you've got to prioritize and then you move right into action. And what I'm trying to say is during Christmas 2013, even the parts that we love, they can be full of distractions, full of activities, full of energy, full of time. And in the end, we just need a moment to just to step back to assess, to prioritize, and then to move into action. And when I say that, I mean to engage 
the story of Jesus. Christmas decorations are important, but it's a privilege. Christmas cookies for Santa are important, amen? But peripheral. So we don't want to get so caught up in the peripheral that we can't engage in the center of Christmas, which is Jesus. But if I could be honest with you for a moment, and hang with me because this feels a little weird to say, but one of my struggles at Christmas with engaging the story of Jesus is that Christmas, the story revolves around what? Baby Jesus, right? It's everywhere. I mean, this is the nature of the holiday to focus on baby Jesus. And so in my mind, what are we celebrating? Well, it's Jesus' birth, right? That's what we're celebrating. And so what does everyone think about or what do we talk about? It's little baby Jesus, sweet baby Jesus. And I get it. Our nativity scenes, what's there? Baby Jesus. You're going to get Christmas cards from your friends, and sometimes on the front will be a picture of what? Sweet baby Jesus. We sing songs about what? Away in a manger, no crib for a bed, swaddling clothes. We're singing about little baby Jesus. We have Christmas programs and Christmas plays, and what do they focus around? Sweet little baby Jesus. Maybe it's just me, but it's hard for me to even hear baby Jesus without thinking of the movie Talladega Nights. Anyone else with me? It's just, it's ruined it for me in some particular way. And it's not a deep theological movie, but I think it does have some theological truth to it. And so I've got a clip from the movie that is edited, just before you get nervous. It's somewhat edited, so I could show it in church. But I want you to see, and then I'll get back up and talk about what I mean by sometimes it's easy to get distracted from the story when we're focused on sweet little baby Jesus. Take a look at this. Dear Lord, baby Jesus, or as our brothers to the south call you, Jesus, we thank you so much for this bountiful harvest of Domino's, KFC, and the always delicious Taco Bell. I just want to take time to say thank you for my family, my two beautiful, beautiful, handsome, striking sons, Walker and Texas Ranger, or TR as we call them. And, of course, my wife, Carly, who's a stone-cold fox. I also want to thank you for my best friend and teammate, Cal Naughton Jr., who's got my back no matter what. Shake and bake. Dear Lord Baby Jesus, we also thank you for my wife's father, Chip. We hope that you can use your Baby Jesus powers to heal him and his horrible leg. And it smells terrible, and the dogs are always mm. bothering with it. Mm. Dear tiny infant Jesus. Hey, we... um, you know, sweetie, Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. It's a bit odd and off-putting to pray to a baby. Well, look, I like the Christmas Jesus best, and I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can say it to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whoever you want. You know what I want? I want you to do this grace good so that God will let us win tomorrow. Your tiny Jesus, your golden fleece diapers with your tiny little fat balled-up fist pawing. He was a man. He had a beard. Ricky, finish the grace. I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt. I like to picture Jesus as a ninja fighting off evil samurai. I like to think of Jesus like with giant eagle's wings yeah. and singing lead vocals for Leonard Skinner with like an angel band. And I'm in the front row. Okay. Dear eight-pound 
six-ounce newborn infant Jesus. Don't even know a word yet. Just a little infant, so cuddly, mm. but still omnipotent. Mm. We just thank you for all the races I've won and $21.2 million. Woo! 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 Ow! That I have accrued over this past season. Also due to a binding endorsement contract that stipulates I mentioned Powerade at each grace. I just want to say the Powerade is delicious mm. and it, it cools you off on a hot summer day. And we look forward to Powerade's release of Mystic Mountain Blueberry. Mm. Thank you for all your power and your grace, dear baby God. Amen. Sometimes it's easy to get fixated on one aspect of the story of Jesus. And sometimes when it's about sweet baby Jesus, it allows us too much control. And it protects us from the real story of Jesus. It's hard to take too seriously a sweet newborn little baby Jesus and his golden diaper pleats, whatever. So cute, so cuddly, so harmless. It seems it's hard to be challenged by sweet baby Jesus. Now, hear what I'm saying. Even as I say this, I, I get that, no, no it's Christmas, and, and God came in the form of a baby, and that's important. There's deep theological meaning to that. But I would say sometimes it's easy for us to allow that baby Jesus to not challenge us in any particular way. The baby Jesus seems to be okay for us to do what we want, say what we want, live any kind of life we want, have whatever priority in life we want, to think whatever we want, because... He's just, a, he's just a baby. He's just an infant. And in some way, it's easy for the story of Jesus to get inoculated, or at least declawed, if you will, during Christmas. And so not only is there the danger of all the peripherals that are distracting us and calling us away in terms of time and energy and those sorts of things, there's also sometimes when there's an overemphasis on the infant in the manger. And again, I hope you understand what I'm, the spirit I, I mean this in. I don't mean to put down Jesus as an infant at all. It's just when I think about, eh, it's his birthday. That's what we're celebrating. Like on my birthday, which is August 30th, by the way, just a heads up, um, I don't sense that people gather around me and we spend the whole time fixated on me as an infant, right? Like I just, there's little baby Sam right there. We don't sit down and eat cake with me and focus on sweet baby Sam and his huggy diapers laying in a crib. That's, I mean, when I go to your birthday parties, I don't focus on your, what I think about is your life. To celebrate you, what, what is it, you, who you are, and, and the life that you've had. And that God came in the form of a baby is a remarkable thing, and it has profound implications. I want to talk about that a lot next week. But I don't sense the scripture wants the story to revolve around necessarily the infancy of Jesus. That's why it doesn't really, in the end, get much airplay. It gets very little time. In fact, some of you have like baby books that you keep for your children. And it's just packed full of pictures and full of knickknacks and, and notes. And it has when the first word, what the first food, what the first syllable, the first diaper. I mean, you get, I mean, a little clip of the hair. I mean, it's got everything. We don't get that in the birth of Jesus. It's sort of, it makes a major theological point in the text, but it doesn't remain very long on that. And so if I could, let me offer you a different Christmas text to wrestle with as you try to engage Jesus in Christmas of 2013. Okay, so we're in for a spiritual adventure, and one of the ways that we're going to have a spiritual adventure is to engage the person of Jesus. The story You must engage Jesus in this season. Let me give you another text to go to, and it's in Matthew chapter 16. So that long introduction to get Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. 
Here's the story. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who were all around him, who do people say that the Son of Man is? He's referring to himself. And so they answered, I don't know, some say you're John the Baptist, some say he's Elijah, others say he's Jeremiah, one of the other prophets. And then here it is in verse 15. This is the question I think you should answer by the end of the year. Jesus looks at his disciples and he says this, what about you? Who do you say that I am? See, this is the question I think that you should engage in this holiday season. Not to get all warm fuzzies about sweet baby Jesus, but to engage the the full story of Jesus that moves us to answer this question. Yeah, but who do you say that I am? Am I just an amazing and admirable historical figure? Am I kind of like Gandhi to you? Like, with that, is that the category you'd put me in? Or, or am I like another one of the prophets of God who was able to show up and share some key wisdom about the divine? Am I a teacher of spirituality? Like, when you follow me or pray to me, do you kind of have inner... Am I a product of cultural delusion or assumptions? Am I revolutionary who proclaimed a message of love? Or am I a delusional first century Palestinian Jew with some grandiose mental disorder? Or am I the Christ? Am I the son of the living God? Am I, for you, the Messiah of Israel? Am I the Holy One of Israel? Am I your Lord and your Savior? Because the answer to this question is the key to engaging this season. We aren't here simply to gawk or coo at the sweet six-pound, eight-ounce baby Jesus lying in a manger. We're here to reflect on the larger story of a coming king, and that that was to bring good news. A king who would rule a kingdom, and to ask ourselves, are we subjects within that kingdom? And if so, what does that mean for us? So what kind of person ought we to be because of that question, and the answer to that question. Now, Peter, who seems to always want to speak, he does speak up to answer this question. Who do you, who do you say that I am? And here's what Peter says in verse 16. He says, you are the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. When Jesus hears this, he looks right back at Peter and says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this could not have been revealed to you by flesh and blood, but only by my Father who's in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I'm going to give you the key of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be loosed in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he ordered his disciples, hey, let's kind of keep this on the down low. Don't tell anybody yet that I'm the Messiah. But from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and even that he must be killed and on the third day be raised back to life. It's the full story of Jesus. Now, when Peter hears this, he hears death, like they're going to kill you. And so he pulls Jesus aside and, and says, oh, no, this, this, this will never happen to you. Verse 23, Jesus looks right back at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, only merely human concerns. And then he gathers all of the disciples together to give them this bigger lesson. He says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. This is a Christmas issue for us, too. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whatever loses their life for me will find it. This, too, is a Christmas issue. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world 
yet forfeit their soul? Or who can, can anyone give an exchange for their soul? For the, the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Here's what I'd offer to you. Before the year is up and this season is over, prepare to answer for someone in your life what Jesus means to you. How would you answer that question Jesus asks? But who do you say that I am? What difference does that make in your life? Like really, what difference has it made in your life? The answer to that question, how is your life different? And what is it exactly that you're celebrating by Jesus' birth? So that when the scriptures tell us, as it does in Luke chapter 2, verse 10, in the voice of the angel, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. What for you is then that great news of great joy? To engage that is to survive Christmas. And so I know many of you don't need a sermon on how to survive Christmas in the typical way that we think of it. You love this time of year, and I do too. So I'm not interested in sending anybody into depression based on those things. But as your pastor, your brother, your friend, and your co-sojourner, allow me to remind you that all those things that make this a wonderful time of the year can also be a huge distraction and are largely peripheral. The danger for us is that we never truly engage the story of Jesus. Not just the part about the baby, but the total story of Jesus and answer do you say that I am? May that be the center of your season. And may that remain the focus of your heart, even as you add all the great recipes to your Pinterest board. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we come to you and we ask that your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, will be the very center of our thoughts and our minds, that we too want to answer the question that he asked his disciples of who it is that we say that he is. We want for that answer to be right and true. And so in the midst of everything else, we give you thanks for this time of the year. In the midst of all of that, we still lift ourselves up and say, may your son Jesus be at our center. May he receive glory and praise and honor. In his name we pray.